Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Batman Universe Specials, uh, special edition, as this podcast is, for the Batman and Robin Eternal comic book series that DC Comics is putting out for the 75th anniversary of Robin. Uh, Before we get into the show, um, at the time that we are recording this, there was a uh, a terrible attack in Paris uh, this evening or afternoon, depending on the time zone or whatever which you live in. So before we get into the show, um, all of us here would just like to take a a quick moment of silence just uh, for the thoughts and prayers of those um, affected in this uh, horrible tragedy. Okay, cool. So thanks everybody for just taking that quick little moment, and uh, we'll get into Batman and Robin Eternal episode number two. Check me out! I'm Robin, the boy wonder! Are you kidding me? This rocks! Come on, old man. We've got bad guys and me chasing. This is the best day of my life. You think you did? You don't know him like I do. He manipulates, pulls strings, anything to get what he wants. I thought we had the same goals. Things change. I changed. The game's over, Batman. I quit. What's the matter? Lost for words? Expected more. I'm hurt. Joker sent me the film. I saw him kill you. Don't you dare lie to me! How long did you wait before replacing me, huh? A month? A week? I trusted you! And you just left me to die! That's not what happened. You always told me, Bruce. Focus on what I want to achieve, and it'll happen. Yeah! We did it! We aced him! I set him up, you take him out. One, two, huh, Batman? You'll be fine. Of course I will. You trained me. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. The Batman Universe Specials proudly presents Batman and Robin Eternal Podcast. A monthly podcast dedicated to the weekly DC Comics series Batman and Robin Eternal. Taking a look and celebrating at the 75-year history of the Robin character. And now, please welcome Rob... Terrence and Luke for the Batman Universe Specials Batman and Robin Eternal What's your name? Carrie Carrie Kelly Robin Don't look so stunned, Father I thought you'd be taller This was yours? Still is Keep your hands off it, kid Is this what you wore in training? It's what I wore when I went on patrol The only thing it's missing is lace trim and a sun hat. You don't fool me. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you could be Robin. Well, you can't. I don't need some insipid costume and a bird name. I'm way beyond your kind of simplistic training, as you saw tonight. Don't forget, you lost that fight. Welcome to Batman and Robin Eternal Podcast as part of the BatmanUniverse.net, home of all your information for Batman and Robin, whom is celebrating 75 years this year. Finally, the and part of Batman is getting his uh, just uh, rewards. Uh, December, we'll also see the Robin War, so we're getting the 75th anniversary treatment for uh, 
probably more importantly for Dick Grayson, but all of the Robins done very well. Um, we have a, a special guest on the podcast tonight, and depending uh, how he feels after uh, Terrence and Luke and I are finished with him, uh, maybe he may continue <laughs> to uh, keep doing this with us. So uh, Ian is on with us tonight. How are you doing tonight, sir? Very well, thank you. Um, since this is your first uh, episode with us, and it's only you know our second, uh, the previous episode we, uh, the three of us, got a chance to talk about you know our our favorite Robins and our favorite Batman stories. Um, you, what brought you into the uh, Batman universe, as it were, and you know what are some of your favorite things? And of course, you know, being this is Batman and Robin Eternal podcast, who's your favorite Robin, and maybe kind of how you you know stumbled upon uh, the podcast. Well, let's take that in sort of out of order. Um, I first read Batman comics when I was, um, let's see, about 2000, 2001, when uh, No Man's Land was coming. I would read issues in the library and had no idea what was going on, but it was really dark and exciting, and so I really enjoyed that. Um, Q, a few years later, I saw the Bruce Wayne murderer storyline and thought Sasha de Bordeaux was really cool. Um, then I got to college in 2004 and read the, um, the War Games crossover. And, uh, that introduced me to the, both my favorite Robin and my favorite comic book character, which was Stephanie Brown. Oh, nice. Um, so I think that rounds out our, our Robin favorites. Everybody <laughs> has a different Robin on their favorite list in this podcast. Um, and, uh, because she dies, in War Games, I didn't really follow a lot of Batman comics after that until she came back in 2008. And um, in 2009, when she got her Batgirl series, I started listening to uh, Stella's uh, Batgirl to Oracle podcast, which was following that series. And that sort of brought me to the Batman universe when she joined up. So I've been uh, listening to the comic podcast and Batgirl to Oracle and Everyone Loves the Drake and... Um, Really loved the reintroduction of Stephanie Brown with Batman Eternal. So when I heard that they were asking for reviewers on the Batman Universe site, I volunteered to do Batman and Robin Eternal. Um, and then I found out that you guys were doing a podcast. It was like, awesome. <laughs> cool. It's like everybody's got their little hands in the in the podcast. You know, Luke's doing uh, his comic book reviews, and he's talking about Batman Eternal. You're writing about Batman Eternal. Now, like the three of or four of us are all here talking about Batman and Robin Eternal, so I like how everything's kind of all played. And then Terrence and I are stuck in the 90s with Tim Drake, so, <laughs> so it all ties together. It yeah. is, and I've been ch- watching a little bit of... Uh you guys podcast luke i like yours look uh, the one with luke he was like just uh, uh, were you in the parking lot of the comic book store when you were doing the review <laughs> and i was like this is like so it was so awesome i was like you couldn't even wait to get home you got to do that was that in the parking lot that was actually uh the parking lot to the gym so i okay did my reviews then hit hit a workout in that was the other thing in it. I was like, whoa, look at those guys. Look at his arm, man. He's got some guns. He's like, you know, talk about like comic book, you know, readers being like these skinny little nerds, not not Luke. You know? And then Rob, I was watching yours. Um, man, I can't believe you have a 15-year-old box of macaroni and cheese. Your- oh, yeah, I saw that. That was yeah. Um, and I like, you know, I was looking at the expiration date on it, and I was like, that expired 
that expired 15 years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was showing it to my wife. It's like, you want to make some macaroni and cheese? She's like, you will collect anything with Batman and Robin on it. I'm like, not anything. She's like, you have a box of macaroni and cheese. I think that answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got to sell that on eBay because she will win every argument with you from now until you own that. With that, <laughs> That's her trump card and I, everything. Yeah. I know. And who knows, that box of macaroni and cheese could pay a trip to Scotland. And then who's going to be laughing then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we're probably not going to Scotland anytime soon. <laughs> um, so cool. It's great to have everybody back. Um, we knew kind of going into the month of November, and especially with December, we're kind of hitting holiday season. So uh, this particular episode is going to be five uh, issues. It's going to be two through six. So in case you're coming to the podcast late, you're going, well, hey, wait a minute. There was the first issue. Uh, that's all the way back at issue one, just the previous <laughs> episode. So you can go back and check that out. But I'm sure we'll kind of you know, refresh some things. Um, so hopefully uh, we're going to be spoiling uh, every issue here. So hopefully everybody's been doing their homework and you've been kind of following along over at the Batman universe or with Ian's reviews or with Luke's reviews or wherever you're getting your Batman eternal. Uh, we're going to kind of dive into each of these uh, episodes. We were not going to do a synopsis uh, for each one or the podcast is going to be, you know, we're going to be here for, quite a while doing it so we'll just kind of go through some of our favorite bits some of the things that we like don't like and uh, just kind of our overall thoughts so if everybody's ready to roll grab your comic books or grab your digital devices and we'll jump right into batman and robin eternal issue two um i want to say for we'll probably talk about all the covers here but i gotta say that uh, the covers on all of these issues so far have been really really solid i think each one i'm like oh that's such a great uh cover and then the next issue comes out i'm like oh that's such a great cover um for a while um you know doing uh, issue one i thought oh tony daniels art was so beautiful and then after a while i'm like is he only just doing the covers here so i'm glad he finally came uh back in issue six but as far as covers go it does out of the two through six does anybody have a favorite uh, a cover that they really like or um mine would be uh six um i just love the shot of batman and robin there but uh i kind of like number two I know they're kind of overemphasizing the whole, you know, the whole fear toxin thing, but maybe that's by design because that's obviously because that's that Dick's point of view. But yeah, I thought it was a beautiful mix of good uh, design and wonderful colors. But yeah, I mean, number six as well was was really really well done as well. Yeah, I mean they're all great, and like six, you know. Uh, uh, Rob, you're always like your highest praise for artwork. I always hear you say that could be a poster. Uh, yeah, that, that could be a poster. Yeah, yeah. but I, I got to go at number five because um, one, it's got yeah. Tim Drake on it, and I can't believe Rob didn't pick Tim Drake. But I, I've I always liked to. <laughs> yeah, I've always liked Francis Manipal when he was doing the Flash, and there's it's a really cool cover. It's actually got more action on the cover than was kind of in the issue. Yeah. Uh, and there's just some texturing on the art, like some dots, like some old-fashioned kind of um, comic book feel to it that I really liked. Well, I have to go with number three. Um, I'm a big fan of Tony Daniels' design for Cassandra Kane, and it's a really cool shot of her running from the burning hordes of mother's children, you know? 
yeah. I, I I had to chuckle because I mean, for those who kind of like did reviews for Batman Eternal, there was always like the running gag of like, how many times can you see you know Gotham in flames on a cover? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. The issues, and I saw that, I was like, oh, here we go. It's <laughs> didn't take long. three Everything issues in. Will burn. <laughs> You know, uh, that, that's funny that you uh, mentioned that. That's the, the first thing I, I saw or th- when I saw the preview image online. I'm like, wow, we're already going back to the city on fire. Um, so I, I pulled out a couple issues, and uh, more than half of the issues of Batman Eternal, like there was fire somewhere on those <laughs> issues or whatever. Uh, but we'll jump into uh, issue two. Harper Road just gets the ever loving snot kicked right out of her um right off the get-go and uh um i i really wasn't sure like if this was their going to be their plot device of getting harper um out of the story for a while but uh uh they're not pulling any punches in the story I, th- I think that's the one of the strong points of this whole series so far i felt like with e- batman eternal in six issues that the story just wasn't moving as fast as it I felt it should, um, and they're not wasting any time. I know it's only half as many issues, but uh, with the six issues of Eternal, it took you know 13 issues of uh, Batman Eternal to really tighten the screws down a little bit. But um, what do you guys think of just as far as the the pace of the of the this particular issue went? I think actually one of the problems with Batman Eternal wasn't necessarily that things weren't happening, but that it was the same thing happened over three issues, and then they'd go back and say, oh, that wasn't the right villain, so we'll do the same, find the villain, punch him a lot, find out it's not him, move on. It was just very repetitive. Um, Whereas this one, I mean, we've actually only moved forward about 48 hours from the beginning of the series. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I think that's really helped everything feel really urgent. Terrence? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was really, really great issue. Um, The action moves really well. Um, I know we'll jump around. Later on, There's uh, in some of the later issues, there's an action scene with, um, I think it's uh, issue four, with Dick Grayson and the the We Are Robins. And that action scene, I thought, didn't work. I thought everything was way too static. and you just didn't get the feel of like a fight going on this you know the artwork was fantastic and i really felt like um you know the action moved really well a really good fight scene i like that harper row you know got kind of beat pretty bad because it shows that she's just not up to the standard in fighting skills as these other villains you know sometimes i feel in comics you know somebody puts on a cape or you know the spandex and after like two or three weeks all of a sudden they've got you know ninja skills you know <laughs> i kind of like that you know it shows she she just is not at this level yet um and then i thought the uh, you know to go over everything real quick stephanie brown popping in and then um the flashback to the scarecrow and then the ending um with the red hood i just thought it, it moved really really fast really really well and then the ending did what a good ending does it makes you go oh where's the next issue i want it now can i like jump in a time machine a week from now and, and get it so yeah i thought overall it was a really solid you know a plus issue oh yeah this i thought it was a really stellar issue i like how it really set up everybody kind of get everyone together i know we just had i mean the robins before 
uh, Jason, Tim, and, and Dick and, and issue number one and get them kind of essentially located in the story. Now this one, we literally get everybody we have all kind of flushed out in the fold. Of course, we have the greatest line of dialogue I've seen <laughs> in quite some time in this issue. Uh, you sexy Batman, but uh, <laughs> but um, kiss me, sexy. Yeah, Batman. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But um, but yeah, I tell you what, yeah, just get as far as getting everyone together in uh, in the story. Not only with the the males, now we get the females all kind of co-located. I know Jason and Cass at the very end were doing their thing, but I love that uh, that flashback too. It was really really good, and I think I think this is issue number two where it kind of gets into the point of you know Dick's greatest fears, you know, not being good enough for Batman was just just an awesome flashback seeing how that kind of all went through. So but overall, yeah, stellar issue. Yeah, I I thought that was the the highlight of uh, the book. I mean, the whole thing. And I think to go back real quick, uh, I think the second greatest line out of this issue is they giving out costumes and cereal boxes now. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was really cool. But uh, I think they with Dick's Robin character in you know the new Fifty Two now. I think this is like the first major um, villain he's faced. Uh, has come in contact with and even in in the corn while they're running around uh, Robin's being or Dick basically is just being very loud and you know it still kind of has this hey you know Batman and I are we're, we're in the middle of a cornfield we're tracking down the scarecrow and then gets pummeled with the fear toxin I think that's the moment where he realizes he's not playing around anymore and you know like you said all, all his fears are coming out so um, it's kind of cool to see in parallel Dick Grayson now as opposed to Dick Grayson then um, and him you know knowing what the smell of the fear toxin is and uh, just kind of jumping ahead into six uh, you know five issues from now in six that Dick is still not wanting to come to terms with he let the, his fear get the best of him and, and not wanting to own that fear too I, I just thought that was really good that he's he's afraid he's going to be uh, the downfall for Bruce and actually, I think that's a really good note since one of the things in the present storyline that you know Tim gets incredibly angry about, and um, Jason has to remind Dick uh, that I think because of this fear that he won't be good enough for Batman, Dick has let Bruce's paranoia and inability to form connections with other people sort of get in the way of his nature. And I think this series will be sort of pushing Dick both towards Batman's goal in training him to to fight for justice and also away from Batman's method of doing it alone. Yeah, Terrence? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because it kind of sets up in the other issues the sort of thing of, is, you know, Dick uh, Grayson doubting himself or uh, or is, is it the fear gas? Like you just don't know how much is it just that natural self-doubt or how much is the fear gas still kind of um, lingering? And I think, you know, the art – I've always re- really liked Tony Daniels' art and the, the art – on I don't have have the page numbers, but where Robin is having the you know hallucinations, I mean his faces of the Joker and Batman are, are really distorted and really disturbing, and it really it really sets the tone. Like you really feel like he, he's he's suffering under the fear gas. So um, it's, it'll be interesting to see how much of that effect lingers in the in the flashback story. Luke, uh, 
I just remember when I, when I read this, and it's going to sound like really obvious, but I was like, man, I'm really glad they decided to get Tim Sealing on this project because he has such a pulse for the Grayson character. Obviously, if you're reading Grayson, you know, well, he's hitting that out of the park. But I was just reading this, and I was like, man, he, he's got dick. That sounds really bad. <laughs> uh, he, he's got Grayson like down pat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And he was that. That was just a such a good decision by DC to get him on this. And nah, I know you guys are hitting the nail on the head in the yard. It was just just superb. Yeah, and it's funny because um, like the whole idea of a Robin was that like kids would read the book, you know, back in the forties or whenever, and like daydream that they were robin or or want to be robin like running alongside batman and uh now as an adult you kind of read this book and you're like i wouldn't mind being dick grayson like you know i i would like people you know like if i met stephanie brown for her to say hey you're sexy batman like it's be good to be him you know i mean the whole like parents getting killed thing's kind of a bummer but you know (laughs) he's rich he's like you know uh you know it must be good to be dick grayson is Dick richer than Batman at this point? I mean, Bruce? Oh, technically, yeah, Bruce has nothing, technically. Well, yeah, technically. <laughs> he, he doesn't I mean, even... you know that's not going to last. But... Yeah. Um, I, I want to say there was an issue of Nightwing where they addressed what the... Once he inherited Haley's Circus, what that, what that actually entailed. I think Bruce was kind of surprised by... Um, uh, the capital that Dick Grayson had, and I, I, I wish I could pull that up and find. It. I'm sure somebody out there is like, "Oh, it's issue 13 or something like that." Um, I, but I don't think it's as was as much as Bruce, obviously. But uh, I think there was a, a throwaway of line like, "Well, if you need somebody like Lucius to look over your books, I think you should do that." Like he fell into this pretty, pretty quickly, but. Uh, I've always thought with their like computer hacking skills, um, money's no object. They can just get money anytime. They can just hack into Lex Luthor's bank account or whatever and just, you know. Well, but remember what happened to Tim when he did that to the Penguin. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I want to I get to that. I want to I save that for five because I've got, I've got a whole mess of stuff I want to <laughs> unload yeah. uh, in, in five. Um, I really... I really like Stephanie Brown in this issue. I think she's written very well, and it upsets me at the same time that we had to wait an entire year, with the exception of, I'm trying to think, uh, was it Zero Year storyline was the only time that she made an appearance other than Batman Eternal. And same with uh, Harper Rowe. Those two characters, I thought, were were done very well in Batman Eternal. And... um, to go, oh, finally, Stephanie Brown, she's written really well in this. Um, I would like to see better use of these characters beyond the Eternal series. Um, hey, man. <laughs> yeah, she, she's in Catwoman. I mean, she's... Well, she was. Yeah. At all. But um, I think she was in what else? She's going to be in Batgirl this month. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. She was, she was in the annual. That's yeah. what she yeah. yeah. She's she also going to totally be in number 46. Like putz, yeah. Yeah. Either I, way, I could tell she's not. She has not been written too well up until this point. Yeah. So um, it's frustrating if you're a fan of the '90s, like I know you are, Tim, and you know you just want like a, a, a spoiler Tim Drake miniseries. Like you, you just want him to go off in a room and I and find out. Like because first of all, um, 
I don't really even know what their relationship is in the new 52 and how much backstory they've kept and how much they haven't. And, you know, one thing in these, the first six issues, they haven't had much interaction between Drake and Spoiler. So it's kind of like, are Except they starting from scratch? one in issue four. Yeah. But I think leading up to it, the only interaction they had is at the very end of uh, Batman Eternal, where Eternal. they where they actually meet for the first time, and then yeah, yeah that apartment, yeah, yeah, and then you fast forward a year, and, and you know here we are that they're kind of sort of talking, working together, kind of sort of. Yeah, because in four that the scene you're talking about, I, I get the opinion that they re- don't really have much of a history or a backstory. Mm-mm. Which, as a fan of them, I always kind of wanted to see them end up together. So, as a way, I kind of like that they might reset everything, and then maybe they it, it leads to some stories together. But I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. That would require the super office to let Tim Drake leave the Titans and them actually to devote a title to him. Yeah, yeah. I- on happier note, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll spiral this down really fast. This is going to turn into everybody's mad at the Drake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I love the Drake. That's why I'm mad at the office. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> um, I I also like you, uh, Luke, you were saying about Seeley writing Dick Grayson. Um, first of all, I, I'm eating crow when it comes to Grayson. I was dead set against him being this the spy as much as I love James Bond and um, still haven't seen Spectre yet and all that but um, I thought a Dick Gr- a Grayson spy comic book series is not going to work we need Nightwing as much as I still want Nightwing Grayson is a very strong comic and I like in Eternal also that they didn't just bring Dick up to speed that Dick is trying to figure all of this out he has and it's a great plot point also that it's not like they can just go to Bruce and say, okay, you didn't tell me something and now it's affecting everybody else. There's no memory there for Bruce to tell. So I like, along with the reader, that we're figuring, we're knowing what Dick knows every step of the way. It's not like, oh, okay, well now Dick all of a sudden is going to be, you know, the know-it-all in place of Bruce and nobody knows anything. And I also think that's a a point that is brought uh, very strong into this issue as well. Oh, yeah. Um, any other thoughts on uh, issue two before uh, we blast into issue three? No, I'm ready for three. All right, let's roll into three. Uh, we talked about uh, the fire cover from Tony Daniels. Um, as two ended... Um, it was kind of cool, and I thought it was kind of fitting for the Red Hood to be the one that ends up finding uh, Cassandra here. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys if you had this same thought, too. I felt like everybody else in the previous issue was in another location, and magically, in the page, a two-page turn, all of a sudden, the entire gang is in the bar with Red Hood and Cassandra. Am I the only one that missed a, a time travel that the Bat family can do? Yeah, now that you say it, that happens pretty quick. I, I think I was so distracted by those things coming out of uh, Jason Todd's arms that I didn't even think about um, them there. But yeah, now that you say that, they get there really quick from the phone. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know what you guys think about those 
things coming out of his arm and the tech. I, I, I like Jason Todd, but I like him better when he's the street punk, when he's like, you know, like the guy from the streets and, you know, in a brawl. Um, but um, I don't know. Do you guys agree or disagree? I I have the Red Hood action figure, and I cut those blades off the action figure. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was something I'm sure Luke can probably talk a little bit more into that. I, I was reading Red Hood and the Outlaws for a while, and I think that's part of uh, Luke, take it away. <laughs> I'll, no. I'll, I'll, I'll butcher yeah, it. Yeah, that's during that whole – his old ventures and and the series, you're right. But, um, yeah, it's it, – it was kind of jarring to say the least. But, yeah, it's – I know, Terrence, you're, you're, you're dead on too. It's just like he, he's done right when he's just got that, that street thuggish in a kind of way kind of character to him. I know there was that part in that series, you know, when he was doing the, the racial goal with, his, with the, the demon's head sword and, and the whole thing with the weapons when he was doing his training over there. It, it, it is what it is to kind of put it very loosely. I thought it was funny, but I, I mean, if you compare this, I mean, I know there was some criticism of issue four's fight scene uh, earlier, but I think if you compare this to issue four's fight scene, this is just so static. They're just running at each other and swinging, whereas in issue four they were flipping off the walls and stuff. That's what Jason. That, that's that's almost Jason's mo, though. It's kind of like just brute violence, and I don't know. If there's too much finesse. Well, but it's not cast. That's that's the thing. Well, uh, but I also think too with Cassandra, she fought Dick how Dick would fight, and she's fighting Jason how Jason would fight. So I might make the argument that we're not getting all the backflippy spy stuff that she had in a previous issue, that she's doing more of the brawler. And I also wonder if it's with the penciler on this, and it looks like it's Paul Peeler and Scott Eaton. Pelletier. Pelletier, there you go. So, um, yeah, I I don't know if uh, the... The fan in me wants to say it's Cassandra doing fighting the person in the style of who she's fighting, or if it's just kind of the way the artist is drawing it. Probably both. Um, I it's been a while. I didn't go back through and read. Uh, I, I meant to read uh, Grayson uh, two and seeing it's uh, Poppy here. Is that her mm-hmm. name? Um. It, did did I miss this in Grayson somewhere where she's eating? No, no, that's no, that's what she that's, does. She goes that's around what eating she does. people. Yeah. Okay, she was yeah, she was like kind of off on her own, and that's kind of how she survived. Well, she got infected, or she got like a body part that gave her super speed, which meant she had to eat a lot of things, and the only things she could find to eat apparently were people. <laughs> Yeah, I, like I said, it, it took me a while to warm up to Grayson, so I think there. I mean, this was it's referencing issue two, so I didn't think I really started to get on board until like issue seven or eight. So uh, I think I was just reading it begrudgingly, like, all right, let's see what Dick Grayson's doing, and so I didn't take much of that in. So um, I, I kind of liked not knowing, but I'm also kicking myself of going, I don't understand the the references here. And I can only imagine what Terrence is thinking, too. So I think Terrence and I are probably both in the same boat. <laughs> that I've read it and don't remember, and Terrence just didn't read it. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of in the same thing. And then I thought, like, well, is now – obviously, she's a character in Grayson, but I was thinking, like, well, is this end her run in Grayson? Because it, she seemed to be 
working with him and now she's against him so i don't know um and then i was also kind of confused with director bertinelli so is that supposed to be helena bertinelli and was she never the huntress in the new 52 now or yes and yes okay because i know the huntress was helena wayne I think yeah for a little Dude. bit. Uh, that was Earth yes. too. Yeah, but and then they I'm came bitter. to. <laughs> they were in Earth too, but then there was like the Huntress. Um, what was it the Huntress Power Girl series where they had yes. come to this Earth or yeah. uh, or their yeah. Earth One and then so I don't know I don't I didn't know where that all ended if they had but uh, well, her design as Robin I thought was kind of cool from Earth yeah. One Earth Two but um, I'm not even sure where that all ended up. Well, Helena and Power Girl did stuff, and then Earth 2 blew up. So I don't think it really matters anymore. Okay. But Helena Bertinelli in the New 52 had her backstory in the Grayson Annual number one. One, yep. Um, and she was she is still a mob daughter, the daughter of a mobster that was killed by rival mobsters. But instead of becoming Huntress, she became the second in command, and now she is in command of Spiral. Well, at least she's a good guy, unlike in Arrow, where they made her the, the psycho, <laughs> yeah. crazy and she still uses crossbows. Yeah. <laughs> and there, there's a nod to her costume. You know, she's got the the uh, white cross kind of going down through the center of her outfit, so I thought that was a, a nice nod there. That um, I, I'm just hoping that she would... Uh, part of me wants uh, Grayson to stop being Grayson and be Nightwing and Helena to be... Um, you know, uh, Huntress fully, but at the same time, I, I like what they're doing there. So, yeah, and I like I like the costume too. Um, I think it's a, a good character. It doesn't really feel like Helena Bertinelli from pre uh, New Fifty Two, though. No, no. And you know, it's it's kind of the Grayson thing kind of grows on me because I, you know, in this issue and in the whole series, it doesn't bother me that he's you know Grayson as opposed to being Nightwing. And in fact, I think it almost works. A little better um, as Grayson, and you'd see his face and everything, as opposed to being in the Nightwing costume the whole issue. So, um, but um, and I was a huge Nightwing fan. I mean, I love the character of Nightwing. I wish someone would be Nightwing in the New Fifty Two, but it, it, it works for this series so far. Uh, Luke, I've been wanting to ask you this: uh, What do you think of? the Red Hood Iron Man helmet in this issue. <sighs> well, I will say <laughs> it's almost, well, first off, the, the with incarnations of Red Hood, I don't like having the nose on him, so at least it got that kind of uh, feature correct. Well, yeah, but when he's drinking a, a beer and he kind of pops the top off, it's... <laughs> Silly, but you know, at the same time, if you kind of look at it, that that's something that's Jason. I mean, I literally see him kind of just being nonchalant, just toughing his his mask off and drinking a, a friggin' beer. That's it, it's very it fits into the caricature of Jason, but yeah, but the whole pop the top, I'm not really wasn't too much of a fan of it because I think it literally just comes off, it doesn't yeah. really visor up, you know, but <laughs> be that it is may, I guess. Um, I don't know about everybody else, but um, I loved the Batcave sequence, like the one place where they know they can go take Harper. Um, and I, I like the, the lines of, you know, Bruce 
had to use this before. Um, I was kind of surprised we didn't uh, see Alfred in here, but I like that there was, you know, reference, you know, to Alfred, and they've got her in the medical bed. And my mind instantly went to, you know, is that the same bed that Bruce was in when he had his back broken, you know, or the, you know, when he fell off the gargoyle and hush, you know, and, and all that type of stuff. So um, I thought the whole bat cave scene with the whole entire family and seeing everybody there, what what would have topped it off for me if Damien would have popped in uh, at this point? But I, I liked the, the bat cave uh, sequence and where, you know, it. Dick's trying to figure everything out, and it's almost that moment of like, okay, everybody shut up, let's let's try and piece this thing together, and almost kind of do like, well, what would Bruce do? And everybody's kind of looking to, to Dick like, we don't have that luxury, you, you've got to be the one to, to start making the call here. And you know what I, I kind of I liked about that scene, and it's maybe someone might just kind of read right past it, maybe not think too much of it, but you know, it's that one scene where, you know, Cass is kind of touching each one of them, and it's kind of like, you know, what's, what's their strength? You know, she goes, she touches Jason in the hands. You know, he's the brute. He goes and touches uh, Tim's head. Uh, he's the brain, you know. And then she goes and touches uh, Grayson in the chest and the heart. Like, you know, you, you, your strength is your heart, you know. I just thought that was, was three panels, but just, just very powerful. Thank you, because you know what? I looked at that, and I was like, what is she doing? And then when I read it, I didn't get it. And then as we were doing the podcast, I flipped through it again, and I looked at it again, and I'm like, what? what is she doing? So <laughs> thank you, Luke. Yeah, now that now that you say that, I'm like, wow, that's really cool. That, now I get it. I, I needed the cliff notes or the Luke notes for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what did you think about that uh, panel sequence, Ian? Well, I mean, I highlighted it in my reviews. Yeah. So obviously, I had some thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I thought it was a really nice sequence. It's, de- I mean, it was it was nicely drawn. All the characters really had expressiveness. Even Jason, with his hood on, has sort of a a curious and sort of vulnerable aspect in that panel. Um, I think it's a little on the nose because um, I think all three of the Robins are are complicated characters, and they're more than just one trait. But it, it's a nice highlighting of their their general tendencies. Um, it, going towards the tail end of this, because now we've got you know a few more books to go through here. Um, this was a typical Batman moment, and another one of those. The the question that Dick asks Batman in the Batcave of like, Dick's already explained everything to Bruce. You know what he saw in the fear toxin state, and what does Bruce say? Nothing. I saw nothing. I'm like, you jerk, you saw something. <laughs> but Yeah, just, he totally is lying. Yeah, but at the same time, something like that brings a smile to my face, and I'm like, they wrote Batman exactly right, and I think we said it in the last episode. Uh, Batman tries to do so much to protect everybody that the thing that he's protecting them from is going to turn around and bite everyone in the rear, and he's going to have to do a lot of backpedaling. And at the end of the day, he can just say, I'm Batman, you know, so... <laughs> I, I, I don't. Do you guys have any ideas what he might have seen, or like where your thought might go, or are we just still too far down the line that you know, we're we're not going to get a clue of that yet? I think we got a hint of it in number six. Actually, his fear that he is not helping Dick, but instead using him, like Mother uses her victims. So I think that his fear is related to, to losing Dick or turning Dick into something that he shouldn't be. 
yeah i i kind of went there but at the same time i i was wondering if that was just if that was just the thought that he had or if if it's the the greater thought that everything that bruce does is he's going to lose everything he ever cared about along the way so that 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 was my take on it anybody else have a a thought before we hit to uh, issue four I did want to highlight Stephanie's line um, that Batman has a butler, a bat butler, battler. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, and I would say the one thing I, I, I liked in issues one and two was the, the cliffhangers at the end. I thought the cliffhanger in this one was really weak. Uh, like, uh, does anyone think that any of these people are going to do anything to Bruce Wayne? I mean, it's so obvious Grayson's going to come running in, and it just it, it seemed a little a little ridiculous it's just a little overkill with the amount of people with all these axes and everything and it was just kind of like oh after two really great cliffhangers i I thought this one was really weak yeah and i thought this i thought this was a cheap way to bring to bring present day bruce wayne into the book like i'm gonna go into the kitchen it's like well of course there's gonna be a mob of ninja assassins in there for bruce I, i i would have been fine with it just um Ending right at the shot of uh, Beacon Tower, you know, where the last line is, you know, I'll watch this and back, or uh, where Red Robin says, I'll watch his back and see, you know, see where, if we see him in the field, if I can even read that right. Um, that's where I I would have ended it, and I don't know if I would have done a cliffhanger, but I, uh, it was cheap, cheap, I thought. I mean, then you would have had to do the setup in the next issue, I don't know. Yeah. Since we're, we're talking about the cliffhanger opening up the very first page, it's like he's walked in the room in the end of issue three and issue four. He's grabbed like a martini and some jello and he's turning back around like, oh, you guys must be the kitchen staff. I'm like, I get that Bruce has amnesia, but he's not stupid at the same time. <laughs> you know, it's it's not the bumbling, you know. Bruce Wayne from the animated series, like, oh, I came in here for Jello. I'm nobody important. I'm like, these guys have access. Come on. So I, I, I'm kind of calling shenanigans in the in this first opening sequence here. Yeah, it just seemed a little weird. It just seemed where 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 did all these axes come from? Why not bring a gun? Um, you know, it, it, I, I'm just gonna say this, and then you guys can comment. I was just extremely disappointed with the whole scene here. It, it seemed like it was. I mean, part of it might have been just like we have to explain who and where Bruce Wayne is, why he's not, you know, in my, the rest of the story. Maybe I don't know. We'll have to see how it comes out. But I just thought the whole fight scene was just not one of these people can land an axe anywhere. Um, and it just it seems weird. And then the Robins come in. It was almost like um, more of just like, hey, let's just mention this person. Hey, and let's mention Batgirl. And the the. The, the fight scenes just were real static. I, I couldn't see action going. And then, I mean, they pick up like a, the potato masher. Just is The potato masher kept, I don't know, it was just bugging me. Uh, so this, I think, was the so far the low point of the series. And, you know, getting somebody whacked with a ladle and then someone grabbing a cheese grater. And I don't know, maybe somebody, maybe you guys liked it. I, to me, it, I thought it was the low point. I really like Dick's moves because they were very Dick going off. I mean, he did leg flails and he did a lot of somersaults and going off the wall. So Dick was good. I totally agree that bringing him back around We Are Robin, while it's fun, 
it's it felt very much like product placement, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is not how – I mean, the last episode, I think, Terrence, you were the one that asked, you know, well, what's going on with Batgirl? This is not how I would have introduced Batgirl. I mean, like you said it perfectly, and it's product placement, and here's the product from Sony, and look over here. Here's a Pepsi can of the We Are Rob. You know, I was like, this is not how I would have brought in Batgirl. She's in here for, what, four, four pages, and then gone and done, and Batgirl's out of the story. I think this is the weakest. Um, I I would have. They were doing such a good job in, in three issues that uh, I I read this one twice to to just kind of I was kind of getting bored with it to be to be perfectly honest with it. Well, also, did anyone figure out why the fight ended? No, I, I was. Like, hope, I'm why glad did you it stop? Because <laughs> we went to follow Harper and. Bluebird, or, you know, uh, Cassandra? Uh, like, Dustin, Stella, and, um, oh man, what's his name on the podcast? Joe? No. Was it Joe? I, I can't remember now. The They thought that it was because Batgirl launched uh, a flashbang, and that, like, scrambled the nanites, but there's been no evidence that Mother uses nanites, so I thought that wasn't, there wasn't enough evidence to support that theory, and they just sort of all the guys sort of stop um, fighting after Batgirl shows up and they punch him with the ladle a bunch. So it just felt like it was going reasonably well, at least in terms of Dick's fighting. But then it's like they just needed to move on. And so they didn't explain, well, did they knock them all out? Did they win? Did they run to a different like, why did it stop? The script is written by Steve Orlando. So I know the overall story is Snyder and Tinian, but I wonder if kind of the the ladle falls in his lap, uh, so, so to oh, speak, yeah. like, in this one. <laughs> other reviews were saying that he's done kitchen fights in his Midnighter comics, so yeah. apparently this is sort of his thing. I don't have too much to say for this issue. I don't want to gloss. I I do like the beats with uh, Bluebird and Cassandra as they're you know going through the cave trying to figure things out, and the whole time I'm while I do like that, it's like Stephanie's in the Batcave. Like, come on, guys, you're just leaving me here. Like Stephanie, you were kind of in charge to kind of watch these two, and you're just hanging out in the Batcave, kicking over medical supplies while they left you. Um, Steve Orlando did some really weird things in terms of continuity in this year. I mean, you've already pointed out the fact that he had Bruce holding a glass that he wasn't holding at the end of issue three. But he also seems to think that apparently Tim and Jason, who are like three feet away in the last issue, can't see Stephanie kicking over a table and being really upset that everyone's leaving. Like, he's completely changed the geography of the Batcave or something. <laughs> it's really strange. Yeah. But there'd be no echo in the Batcave, in a cave. Yeah, I, I get that the Batcave computer screen is really large and Tim is really focused, but uh, a tray, I think Tim would <laughs> quickly get the snap of his fingers like, hey, uh, I'm trying to monitor crap here, and I, I don't know. I, I don't want... Tim written off as like, okay, I'm going to play the Oracle part in this series, and I'm just going to be sitting here at the computer while everybody does everything else. Um, well, what do you guys think about uh, 
Dick and aside from Dick, Tim and um, Jason's role in this in this particular issue, or even I guess what what they're doing currently at the moment. I think it's clear that they don't know what to do with them until their own plotline kicks in. In I think it's issue twelve or something. That's the first time they've got like the solicit that says Jason and Tim have gone to follow some lead. Yeah. So I think they're just stringing them along until they get to their plot line or something. Yeah, and you know, my my biggest bugaboo when uh I can't believe I just said bugaboo, but <laughs> <laughs> my biggest thing that bugged me when uh, the Red Robin series was going on is throughout the DC universe, Tim Drake was never drawn consistently. I mean, sometimes he looked six foot five, sometimes he looked five seven, sometimes he looked twelve, sometimes he looked thirty. And in this issue, I thought he looked really old, especially at the end. There's some scenes where I mean, he looks like he's in his forties. Um, and so I think it, a lot of this was just like let's remind everybody that they're still here. But in the one scene, uh, it's towards the end, and they don't have the page numbers. Like. Um, Tim is um he's on the phone and then Jason like gets up from the motorcycle and is walking away. I I thought uh, that happened that like he got activated like under the mother like um brainwashing and I know it's only a matter of time before one of them like their activation is going to kick in I think or or somebody but did anybody else w- wonder why Jason was just like walking away there or think maybe something was going on? Uh I'm I'm at a loss too. I next. <laughs> yeah. I think there are just too many plates for Orlando to juggle in this issue. Yeah, and that seemed really awkward um out of um out of everybody. Did I lose people? I'm still here. Okay. I'm sorry. here. I'll I'll go back to that. 53. Okay. Yeah, I I was at this the same uh place in that. So, um Luke well, I will say this. Um, just a hole in this in this issue. You guys pretty much hit all the, the, the big points, obviously. Then, other than the uh, the cliffhanger we had, uh, when we have weeklies, it's never always going to be you know, straight home runs every week. You're going to yeah. have your goods and your bads. Cough, Dogs. Ray Fox, cough. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but this one, this is also the bad. And I would say those who are listening, I mean, brace yourself. You will. It's almost a certain we will run into another issue like this at some point. So yeah, Orlando's going to be back. They're doing yeah. two arcs for each writer. Yeah. Right. So I mean, I would just say these things kind of happen, and it, and it's kind of hard to, especially when when we nitpick on the little details and it's so glaring. It's like. When they transition from one creative team to the other, you know, it kind of you kind of wonder when does this actually happen? Because I don't think it honestly happens in sequence. Because you know, you would think like little stuff like that when uh, you know Seely's handing off to Orlando, that little thing like you're talking about, like the cup, you know, those little little details. It just kind of wonders how do they, the whole editorial process and the creative process, you know, are they doing it in sequence or are they just kind of doing it? You know, hey, you got when you get the assignments. Hey, your two issues, whatever. You gotta make sure you hit these beats and these beats, and the general scope is this. Now go, and they really kind of synchronize in the tiny little details. And obviously, it's not. And you saw that in Batman Eternal too. So yeah, I would just say just 
temper expectations for those of the first time with the weeklies. You will run into little stuff like this as the series goes on. Well, yeah, and there's something in the preview. They released the preview for issue number seven today, and there's like a massive detail that I was just like, is that a mistake? Did I miss something? I haven't seen the uh, preview out uh uh, go ahead and say, I mean, I'll, I'll check it. I'm sure by the time the next podcast comes up, people will have already seen that. But uh. Well, um, in issue uh, five, yeah, in the next issue, uh, the orphan, the white-hooded guy who's beating the crap out of Harper, gets his hand chopped off. And then in issue seven, Harper says that he lost a foot. And I'm like, that's a different part of the body. <laughs> She's lost a lot of blood. Cut her some slack. (laughs) (laughs) True enough. I mean, that's actually something that's really weird is because this all takes place over, like, one day, how the heck is Harper still walking around? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she's repelling in this issue down in a bat cave. In the previous issue, uh, she could barely stand up and clutching her stomach, so... um, And, oh, by the way, she has her costume out of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, she changed into that very tight costume. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, there, there'd have been no way, <laughs> no way at all. Uh, the uh, big uh, cliffhanger, and well, I would call it a double cliffhanger. Uh, you know, we've got you know Tim on the phone. It looks like he's uh, possessed by mother. Uh, but the other one, which uh, we will get into, is Dick showing up at the Drake house. So uh, this made me eager uh, to read uh, issue five and knowing and, and seeing the front cover of this issue going why are red robin and grayson fighting so um and this is something that i think a lot of people had you know wondered with tim's new origin the new 52 that his parents are in witness protection and i thought okay that's just a a way to write it off and we'll probably never revisit that again so i was kind of interested to see how this was going to plan out and as smart as tim is for dick to figure out where it is i know he's got the you know resources of spiral but uh um, uh, this had me excited for this issue, so that's kind of my lead in for it. What was your guys' thought going into uh, issue five? Well, I kind of thought if they're in the witness re- uh, relocation program, they'd have Drake really big on the mailbox. <laughs> I mean, who has your last name on their mailbox? But uh, and still in Gotham, like why are they in yeah, the same yeah. city? Yeah. Now, it has been pointed out that uh, I think in the was it the annual? No, it was in... Teen Titans Zero. Uh, no, well, not only in Zero, but... I, well, and then in the Origins uh, series that was going on for a while, that Tim takes his middle name and makes it his last name. So in the old continuity, it was uh, Timothy Jackson Drake. So people are assuming that his name in the New 52 is actually Timothy Drake Jackson. Instead that of makes sense. Tim Drake, so... Um, I would have taken it a step farther and have him actually be still Tim Drake and then get adopted by Bruce and become Tim Wayne. That's that's what I would have done. That still would have tied kind of the old continuity rather than people being say, upset and going, so Tim Drake is not actually really Tim Drake. He's only Tim Drake because he screwed up and his parents are in witness protection. So I, I think that's why the mailbox says Drake because that's their new identity. Okay. Well, I think, I mean, to sort of spill into number five, I think 
what happened, according to what Tim says, is that he rewrote history to protect his parents. And it seems to me that originally his parents were in witness protection, but at some point, probably when he left being Red Robin directly with Batman and sort of became a solo hero, he took control of the protection of his parents himself because the government didn't build that house for them. Right. Very, very true. Um We'll get into the Batman and Robin stuff. I, I want to get into the meat of um, the, the house that uh, the house that Drake built, um, and I like the little spiral um, effect that is. And I wish DC would put their page numbers in here. It's next to the ad of not all origin stories begin at a faraway planet from the Art Institute. It's that next page. Uh, What's it look like? Uh, <laughs> It's the one where uh, Dick is uh, walking into the apartment uh, of the Drake house, and you see yeah. like the the pink background behind it, where it's almost spiral esque, kind of yeah. letting uh, the reader know that you know he's got his spiral detection uh, going on, which I, I thought was kind of cool. Oh yeah, I didn't even notice that. Thought that was a, a, a nice little touch, and it's a nice tip to the hat to the first issue of Grayson with like the pink cover. That kind of <laughs> I was like. Okay, you took him away from being Nightwing, and now you've got a pink background. What's what's going on here, guys? I thought that was a nice touch. Um, and I also liked, I want to know your guys' thought on this, of the turn in, you know, Dick being in the apartment, and his, their parents, his parents' cover story is Tim was killed, you know, in a car accident. So I was like, that's, that's kind of cool that somebody you know, might be in the Drake house and to know, well, didn't you guys have a son? Well, he was this Olympic athlete. Yeah, well, he died in a car accident, so I thought that was kind of cool. What did you guys think about uh, that little, like, cover story for Tim? I thought it was good, although there's there's two notes I noticed. The first is uh, Dick introduces himself as Lyle Dixon, which is, I think, uh, an homage to... Um, Tom Lyle and Chuck Dixon, the yeah. creators of the Robin series, which I thought was really cool. Um, but the second thing was, Tim's father says, Tim was a great gig. We thought we'd waited too long, then he just arrived. He's all we ever wanted. Which makes me really nervous, considering what we find out in issue six about the way Mother creates people. Yeah. That that was my next topic. Uh, what did you guys think about? We just uh, heard from Ian there. Uh, Terrence, what did you think about that uh, from uh, Jack Drake? Yeah, you know, when this when the series first started in issue one, I, I thought, you know, all their names were on a list. So then I was kind of like, oh, are they going to try to say that all of the Robins were somehow connected to Mother? Um, now I'm thinking that maybe they're just going to dial that back and just have Tim Drake in somehow some way connected to mother um it's hard to say whether they they they're putting that in there to just try to trick us or if that's a clue um but either way i think they're going to go down that path whether it pans out to be actually true or just they make us think that i definitely think tim drake in some way is going to have some kind of past connection to mother luke yeah i think yeah i think if i don't think it's all of them if it's probably if anything, it's probably Tim. I mean, you kind of look at it. I mean, out of, out of the tragedies, you know, Grayson had, uh, had Bruce, and then even Jason. If you look at New Fifty Two, I mean, Raish and Talia, and even Joker even had as much of a 
way of shaping Jason than than Bruce did. So it kind of leads, you know, Tim. And then and I think that is a good point that maybe there is that connection that, you know, he is who he is. He's maybe a, a mother's prodigy. You know, that, that is a good point. You know, in the old continuity, the Drakes were uh, would you know, had their mansion, they were, you know, had their own business. And like Ian said, in, in six, there's the, uh, line of, um, I'm blanking on uh, Maxwell, you know, basically saying, you know, he, he mother created, you know, his wife or whatever, and then quickly, you know, backpedals out of it when you get into that. But like Ian said, it's almost kind of like, did they buy Tim? You know, I, I didn't really pick up on it too much until after I read six, though. Uh, until I read six, so I'm kind of like, uh, that would be interesting and weird all at the same time. I don't know quite how I how I feel about that if it if it pans out to be that way. So I don't know. I mean, I hope not. I yeah. even in his new incarnation, I like Tim Drake, and I don't want him to be evil. No, I, I don't. I know Joe at one point, uh, or with the Batman universe, had you know sent him a, a um, I about said affidavit, um, had put up a post about you know maybe they should just kill Tim Drake and you know reinvent him. I, I don't like that whole aspect of like, okay, we have this character, we can't figure out what to do with them, so let's just totally kill him off or, or rewrite history. Um, I'm of the opinion if you're spinning in circles with a character, uh, let's hand it off to uh, somebody else to write rather than try and upturn the apple cart just for the sake of like, well, we, we don't know what to do. Uh, if that's the case, then uh, you know, look at Superman for you know right now. But maybe this is the way to get him to a better place. You yeah, know? Uh, just like you know, Grant Morrison did, you know, back in his run with Batman, the whole total. You know, deconstruction and reconstruction of Bruce Wayne use that type of approach here with Tim. You just totally break him down and quasi give him a new a new start. Maybe. I don't think that's going to happen in this series though, because the clear focal points of the story are Dick, Cassandra, and Harper, and we're not getting a Tim-centric storyline till almost halfway through the series. Very true. You know, I don't mind. Um if it turns out that Tim had some connection to mother and, and all that, because his origin in the new 52 is, is kind of one that I feel like, you know, his, his origin was so tied to events that happened pre 52 Mm -hmm. and with nightfall and with, um, death in the family and with his mom dying and his father that, you know, it kind of his origin, you know, if they kind of give it a refresher and make it, it, um, seem as if batman like maybe somehow like um he he was caught up with mother or somehow and batman brought him in to try to like help you know cure him of it somehow it it might make a little more sense in the new 52 um way of things as opposed to in the pre-52 where tim kind of sought out bruce um now it's kind of like a role reversal yeah that that would be a, a a nice twist on it but still parallel i I like that. <laughs> Let's hope they run with that one. Um, I was confused where Cassandra and uh, Bluebird were in this issue. I think it's the same place where Batman and Robin were um, in the very beginning of the issue 
but um, you know we have Batman Robin in the beginning, and then uh, we have the orphan and Jonathan Crane, and Cassandra is in there. So is is this in the past, and then Cassandra is taking uh, Harper to that same place where she was with the orphan? Yeah, that's what's going on. Because it says at the beginning of the issue, it's um, the Ostranto district corner of Matron and Morier, and then when Cassandra and Harper show up, it says Gotham, Matron, and Marier now. Wow. Yeah. But doesn't that, when I mean, you sit there and you kind of peel them back, does that not infer that Cassandra knew where the Batcave was? Well, she already like, knows Bruce Wayne, because right. he gave her the Yeah, I got that. So drive. he literally went from the Batcave to the actual place where they trained, so she would literally would know where the Batcave is. Yep. And you know what's weird on that page, what you just mentioned, the one that says now, she says, um, I saw the signs out front. This used to be the church of the St. Elijah, the Thunderer. Now it's being developed by the Order of St. Dumas, which <laughs> is St. Is Dumas. I thought it was supposed to be a secret order, but um, and she just throws it out. She has a very good knowledge of um, church reconstruction in Gotham. But I just I thought that was kind of interesting for any Azrael fans out there. I don't know if that was just a, like a throwaway thing like no, that no, or no. if it's going to be a big part of the story. Yeah. They've said that Cassandra is not the only character who's coming back in this series. So I think Azrael is clearly also coming back. Do you think we're going to get... I I wanted to bring that up. Do you think we're going to get Jean-Paul Azrael or we're going to get Michael Azrael or somebody completely different? Jean-Paul would be good because he was programmed right from, you know, his origin in the pre-52 was being programmed as a little kid, you know, and having this, you know, the, um, what was it called, the system, I think, yeah. kick in. So that would kind of fit and tie in with what they are kind of hinting that mother is doing to these kids and, and brainwashing them. So they may, you know, that may be some kind of uh, re, you know, retcon of how the Order of St. Dumas works. Absolutely. Here's a question I had. Maybe someone else might have picked up on, or at least maybe kind of scratched your head a little bit after, like I did. So we had issue number five, where you know, the, there's the cliffhanger. Tim's answering phone, saying "Yes, mother," and then you see him go right to his mother's, pla- his parents' place. Did anyone maybe think that maybe it was this his mother, like real mother, calling, and not mother, mother? No, I thought it was the mother, not his mother. <laughs> I, I thought that for a moment I went back into four and seeing Tim's eyes glowing um, I, I was thinking it, it, it was mother mother so I had I had read um, I had a little trouble getting issue four so um, I had read I read four I, I read a bunch of them all together I think I read three four five and six all together so I'd kind of seen a little bit ahead so when he said mother I kind of knew it was like they're trying to trick you to think it's the villain, the mother, but it would be his real mother. Um, but I, I kind of, I'm not that smart. I kind of <laughs> was flipping through them and saw that they were having a, a kind of a, a brouhaha at the Drake's residence. But I, can I ask you guys this? At the end of issue five, I mean, I think this is the best the Red Robin costume has looked in a long time. But his cape looks like a cape. It doesn't look like those feather things. So is this just how the artist drew it for issue five or is this how his cape is now or what's the deal with the cape but i thought it looked good 
the, which artist? There are three in this issue. Yeah, yeah, whichever one did that last few scenes there, I guess. Or like over in Teen Titans, whenever Kenneth Rockefort is on the title, uh, he draws the cape in a way. Like Tim will have a cape and he won't like it'll retract into his backpack. Uh, some will draw as like their stiff razor blades that it can you know slice through titanium or whatever, and then it's a fully functional flowing cape. So um, it's kind of <laughs> you know it, I go is it the Batman Begins memory cloth that you know you can put an electrode through it and it'll get any rigid shape <laughs> that it wants or. Yeah, I, I think it just depends on the artist or artists that are in this book. But, yeah, that is the most inconsistent part of his costume. And I, I really think it's really busy, but uh, it's it's growing on me. Uh, does anybody else have any preference to the glider cape? I kind of like the visual effect of this stiff razor blade look. Um, but I think it's incredibly impractical. <laughs> You know, Nightwing didn't have a cape, and I would think, just in in practicality, Tim would not have a cape, just and to the emulate. Mode approves. Yeah, and he sits at the you know computer a lot. That's got to be like hard to sit at a computer with a cape, you know. Um, so either something retractable or none at all, I think would actually fit Tim a little more. And his costume's pretty cool. It would look just as good without a cape, I think. There, the I think the most recent, not the most recent issue of Teen Titans, but the previous one. Uh, Manchester Black's got Tim, you know, backed up against a glass wall, and he's got, um, I'm forgetting her name, uh, Trigon's daughter, uh, totally escaping me, uh, Raven. Raven. Yeah, jeez, I have to go Trigon's daughter. Has got Raven in her arms and is telling Tim, you know, you got nowhere to go, and his cape is not on. It's retracted in his suit, and Tim throws a grenade through the window and jumps out, and his cape flies out. Manchester Black's like, oh, that's right, he can fly. So it, I do like that point of sometimes they're like, oh, we're not going to give him a cape so he can run around without it. But So, yeah, that's the Tim Drake cape. I don't know if we've seen a conflict um, other than the uh, resurrection of Ra's al Ghul uh, between uh, Dick and Tim in quite a long time where uh, Tim is definitely pissed. Like, you are putting my parents in danger by being here. I I built this whole this whole thing for my parents and uh, the the line that I liked is that I know Bruce would do something like this but I didn't think you would stoop to this level or you know I'm paraphrasing like that that's exactly uh, what I never expected from you is what Tim says and I I would think hearing that from uh, Tim has got to hit Dick right where it hurts uh, that he has to go, yeah, Tim is exactly right. I am doing the very thing that I hated Bruce for doing. I like that. I, I kind of like how, like, in the absence of Bruce Wayne Batman, Dick Grayson kind of steps right up into that role and, and does that. I, I thought that was really cool. Luke? I just chuckled how he just kind of just pimp slapped him. He's like, <laughs> I challenge you to a duel. <laughs> but no, I mean, that, that was... Yeah, it's because it's he accuses Dick of doing what really everyone, regardless of how how loyal they are to Bruce, it's just the type of stuff that he does that just drives them crazy. So one of their own is saying, "You're doing it, man." You, you just yeah, you can just tell it's just like it was kind of like a low blow to, to Dick. It's just like, oh man, you're right, you know. Part of me thinks that Steve Orlando also really likes to have his main characters in conflict with each other 
Because he did that with, like, everyone in the cave in issue four, so it seems like that's just how he likes to write the characters, whereas Tim Seeley and James Tynan really prefer to have them trying to support each other. And it kind of reminded me when he hit him um, in the New 52, I forget which issue of Batman, it was one of the early ones where Batman clocked Dick Grayson and knocked his tooth out and (laughs) found out that he was being groomed for the Court of Owls, which makes me, to to go back, why I don't think Dick Grayson will have a connection to Mother, because he was already being groomed for the Court of Owls, and then Jason Todd's got the whole Raja Ghul Joker thing, as Luke said, and, you know, so it only kind of leaves... Tim and I almost feel like as a writer like they they wanted to put in Tim's parents and put this you know these little seeds of something going on with Tim's past but the only way to do that was to have Dick Grayson show up and kind of have these fight scenes um and I kind of like how Dick doesn't fight back he just like he realized like all right I crossed the line if you want to you know punch me in the face or whatever you know I could take you down if I wanted to but you know I'm just going to you know you know, all right, whatever. And I, this Dick, um, I'm sorry, this Tim, and the way he interacts with Dick here, I think is is a, a very different Tim Drake than the new 52. Um, I mean, the the pre 52 Tim Drake. I don't think Tim would have acted this way, but I kind of I kind of like it. I like that he's a little more aggressive and a little more physical. Um, if nobody's got anything else, uh, we will go into the last issue for this podcast, uh, issue number six. Out of the Past and the Return of Tony Daniels after a uh, four-issue uh, hiatus doing all interiors uh, for this. And uh, the beautiful front cover that should be a poster, although we get a bat butt shot here that I was like, it's kind of an impractical jump here. It's almost like he's trying to do some type of a dance move, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Hi-ya! Someone suggested that it was like him playing Twister. <laughs> <laughs> right hand yellow. <laughs> I didn't know what to make of Bruce Wayne in the opening uh, page uh, of this. Is this directly kind of out of uh, Batman? Was it 46 that just recently came out? Is this kind of currently what's going on with him at the moment? Yeah, ever since after Endgame, basically once he came back, he's kind of running that children's shelter with uh, Julie Madison in, in zero years. That's literally what he's doing. I like the uh, conversation in here with um, Jason and Dick, kind of like kind of reemphasizing, like, oh, I guess Tim's not showing up, and uh, Jason basically calling you know Dick out and was like, well, yeah, I, I kind of don't blame the guy, and almost I get the uh, impression that Jason's almost the mediator between the two, like Tim's obviously still you know working with the team and everything, but it's. You know, Jason basically saying, you know, I, I, I got my assignment from Tim, or I, you know, I kind of know what's going on. You know, you really didn't expect him to show up. Um, I, I really like how uh, they're writing Jason. He seems a little bit more, more like the the middle the middle child in the role of the uh, Robins. What do you guys think? Can I speak coming from someone who really loves Jason? Yes. And I'm, and I don't mean to totally disagree with your saying what you're saying it just doesn't that was the only kind of thing i had with this issue that was just not how i thought jason is he might approach the subject he just would come off maybe a little bit more arrogant or kind of tongue-in-cheek cocky type of way 
he just sounds kind of it's didn't to me. I'm I'm not saying what you're saying was wrong. No, no, just, no. It was just I was just like I just didn't feel true to Jason. Yeah. Well, I haven't been reading anything by Scott Lobdell ever, but um, ain't, ain't good for you because you're not you're not missing much. <laughs> but I've I've read some reviews um, of what's happening in Red Hood and Arsenal, and apparently he he had an encounter with Amnesiac Bruce over there, and mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing here is sort of. He's come to a place where he he's not as driven by rage at Bruce anymore, so he can see the good that Bruce did him. Like I, I heard, he gave Bruce a hug in that issue. So I think this is sort of flowing from that place in his life right now. See, he I think yeah, you're right. It's exactly what happened, and I think that kind of got away with it because I think literally because Bruce didn't know who he really was, so his ego couldn't be checked. You know, what I mean, it wasn't like he didn't have to put this front up that Jason literally does. It's just someone who didn't know him, technically. So that's why I think that was just I give I gave Lovedell credit on that one. I thought that one was good, but I just think that's what Jason is. If like he knows you, I think he's got to put up that front like you. Know, I'm the I'm the you know, I'm the brute type of guy. Yeah. You know, I agree with what you're saying, and it does seem out of character for Jason to acknowledge that he made three good choices in us. That that does seem out of character for him to say, yeah. well, he he chose three of us, so he did he did right by us. Jason did, yeah. You J- gotta remember that was that was his whole thing. He he got frustrated because he was stuck in the shadow behind Dick. You know, that's part of that resentment with him, you know. But like you said, in the same turnaround, if if he had that moment in with Bruce, it's, like you said, he can't he doesn't need to put up the front because mm-hmm. Bruce doesn't know him, so I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm torn on how on how he he's being written. And in one hand, I, I I like the little softer side of it, but then I go, then that's really not who who Jason is. But I think all of the Robins are at a loss of like we don't we don't have that that thing to hang our hat on. Like, well, Bruce does this, and I'm mad because it's <laughs> like, well, we have Bruce and he's alive, but. We can't go to him and slam our fist down on the table and say, why did you? Because he's going to look at you and go, I'm sorry, you're <laughs> yeah. Jason? Yeah. <laughs> Bueller? <laughs> Mr. Sparrow. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What did you think about uh, Dick Grayson's uh, – and I love the art in this uh, uh, scene where he's uh, – driving his robin cycle uh grappling up to the top of the plane getting in the plane and and figuring out like okay i need to grapple from here and uh, the line is like this is gonna what does it say uh okay this is gonna hurt like nobody's business like like this is the first opportunity that dick is you know fire out his grapple gun off of a bike and into a moving plane i i just thought this whole sequence was just expertly drawn by uh, Tony and also shows you how um, ill-prepared and what a novice that Dick still is in his early career as Robin. What did you guys think about this uh, sequence? Yeah, I think as far as comics art goes, this is about 
as good as it gets for me. I mean, when they're on the motorcycles, I feel like they're speeding um, down the road, and that's all just you know Tony Daniels' art and the inkers and the colorists. When Robin is flying through the air, I mean, the first time I read that, and he's going for the plane, it's just like it was so good. You feel like you're in the air with him, and then the whole surprise of getting up on the plane, and you can you can sense like he he wants to do this to prove to Batman he wants to show he's good enough, and then it turns out to be a trap. And then that art of Robin exploding off and falling and um, the last minute save. I mean, just uh, that that's as good as it gets to me. Ian? I thought it was pretty good. Um, to me, it seemed a bit less polished than Daniel's first issue. It felt a little sketchier, like the proportions of the face were, were not as consistent. Um, and I'm, I'm nitpicking at this point just because I have to try and pick out things for my reviews. But... Um, <laughs> I mean, it was really exciting. It was definitely much more visually interesting than a lot of the art we've seen in the series to this point. I just think compared to to Daniel's earlier stuff in this series, it felt just a bit less polished. Not bad, but less polished. I I can see that in spots. Uh, Luke? (laughs) Well, that opening sequence, you guys pretty much hit all the all the points um the art was very good uh i just know that i'm assuming at some point we're going to talk about that just eye candy beautiful two-page splash uh let's get let's let's get right into it right now we'll we can jump around since you brought it up i'll I'll let you run with it oh i talk about posters i would love to have this as a poster it's just uh, i'm trying to go right to the page right now are we talking about the title page or are we talking about a different one um, I'm talking about the one where he's at the window. Oh yeah, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, the 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 lightning. Is that the one you're talking about, Rob? Are you talking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, they got the two dead bodies there. Yeah. Oh, that was just. I'll be honest. I I did not really expect something like this in a weekly. Maybe because it's maybe just. I don't know. It just takes a little bit more time and. I, it's as far as I mean panel layouts. I mean I don't remember seeing it. Rob, me correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I remember seeing anything like this in in the first go of uh, Returnal. So I mean no, but this uh, when I flipped to this page, this made it feel like this is Snyder Capullo right here. Like this is mm-hmm. death yeah. in the death in the family opening with you got the black background and you have three images going here telling three separate you know little parts of the story but the thing that really makes me feel like this is Snyder going I, I want this beat to be represented it's the yellow text or the white text depending on you know, the coloring of it written on the the black background that made it feel like Snyder's hand was uh, definitely involved and like I, I want this beat to be put here so I, I think you could have slipped this right in Capullo and Snyder's run and it would have felt very home well tying in Tynan is one of Snyder's collaborators and students, and so I think that definitely shows up. But honestly, what I thought of when I read this was uh, Brian Michael Bendis. He really likes these big splashes with bars of text. So that, I don't know, I just thought that was very Bendis-esque. Yes. And that, that Batman design, oh man. Tony, yeah. When he's on, man, he, he's on. Yeah, just don't let him write the script. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just keep him penciling. Yeah, <laughs> I I think that is his strongest. And I and I wondered that I, I'd sent him a, a tweet he'd put up um, uh, the cover image of this, and I had said, you know, 
I forget what I worded. Something like, you know, I, I are you still the main uh, artist on the book? And he had said, yes, I'm returning for for issue six and a couple middle sections and the end. So I was a little disappointed that they kind of touted uh, Tony as as the main artist. I thought, okay, we'll get three issues of Tony, and then we'll get a a filler issue. And it was like we get one of Tony, four filler, one of Tony, probably four filler, one of Tony. So. I mean, I know he's got Deathstroke uh, series going on, which I'm reading, and you know, uh, the art and the story is really good uh, by him. So I wonder if that his time constraint drawing his own book is kind of feeding into maybe, uh, like Ian said, not the polished uh, pencils that we get from Tony. Because I did think he, uh, there is another penciler on this book uh, covering just a little bit. It's not completely 100% uh, Tony. Actually, I think Tony did all the all the pencils. It's that there were three inkers. Okay, that's what it is. So, and maybe that's that's part of it because I know an inker can take take the pencils and you know fatten the lines up a little bit, and you kind of lose a little bit of the pencil, and the inker kind of slowly starts taking over. I think a good inker lets that pencil work come through. So I kind of wonder if the polishness that you're talking about isn't kind of on the shoulders of the inker kind of slopping up the pencils a little bit, or if the inker is like, I I am only working with what I'm given here. I mean, I think it's just that a weekly is brutal. I mean, we're seeing that. I mean, they solicited an artist every two issues, but we're seeing an artist will do one issue, and then the second issue is like four different artists, three different inkers. The next issue... You got an artist doing all of it, and then he just couldn't give up. So I think they really need to to get their editors scheduling and just say, you know, if an artist can't handle two, just get a new artist and have everyone do a full issue. Because it's much better to have an artist do a full issue than to try an artist do two full issues and end up only doing part of the second issue. Yeah. And, and Rob, I, I think where you, where you saw that is in the um, credits. It, it has the different inkers, and Tony S. Daniel inked his own pages, pages. Okay. 16 and 17. And if you count them, 16 and 17 is that spread that Luke was talking about. So not only did he pencil that, he also inked that. Gotcha. So you can really tell. It looks really awesome. We talked about it earlier about uh, Maxwell trying to pass off that, basically, obviously telling for real where he got his wife from, from basically from mother, and then uh, quickly... Uh, backpedaling out of it uh, that oh no no I, I you know I lied you know I met her you know and wherever you know you said Ian this is kind of like our first hint at maybe this is where Tim is tied to maybe it's kind of where some of the other Robins are tied to or this you know organization that we're with um, do we think that the have any ideas who the person was in Wayne Manor that Maxwell saw or is this just uh, some some henchman of mother. I speculated that it's actually Orphan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. That's what I yeah. think. At first, I thought Maxwell might have been Orphan because I'm like, or I say that with my New York accent. I'm sorry, the Orphan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you know, speaking of that, I was thinking about you know how um, Kevin Smith is always like when I when I read it, Batman comics, I hear um, you know uh, what's his face, Kevin uh, Conroy. Kevin Conroy is Batman, and I'm thinking like, well, you know, when I when I read it and I hear Jason Todd, I kind of hear more of like a, a street, you know, like almost like Samuel Jackson or Eminem kind of. So when he says mother, I hear Jason Todd's like mother, you know, like, <laughs> it's really bad mother. Um, but um, 
I, at first I thought, oh, why are they showing this guy? And the red hair is kind of like, you know, uh, really distinct. And it, this, is, this is probably off and this is often. And then in that panel, no, he's not. He's actually going to die real soon. So I, I was really wrong on that. But, um, yeah, you know, and part of me was like, you know, why would he tell Bruce this? Why would he spill that? And it just kind of all that. But then you think it's Bruce Wayne. Like, wouldn't you, you know, like say whatever you could to try to impress him or, you know, or show off. So if Bruce was just a normal guy, I would think this was just kind of like sloppy writing just to move the story. But, you know, it's Bruce Wayne. You you, you might speak, say too much or go too far. Um, it seemed a little weird that they killed both of them. But um, I, I think it, it it moves the story pretty quick and and gets them you know um, where they need to be to the end of it, which goes man, I can't wait for number seven to come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I'm excited too to see where where this is going to go. And I did have a, a question here where it looks like Dick is sleeping in Wayne Manor. I'm assuming that like there's a PA beacon. <laughs> In Dick's bedroom, where Bruce could be down in the Batcave and saying, "Hey, Robin, I need you in the Batcave." But why would you broadcast Robin into Dick Grayson's room? Uh, you know, to, I mean, I guess Bruce would be smart enough to know that everybody's out of Wayne Manor um, at this point. But uh, I thought that was kind of a, a cool little tech thing and something that you know bothers me a little bit that I I don't necessarily think uh, Bruce would do that. Um, He's got a baby monitor in the, the corner. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's kind of like in the cartoons, like whenever they need to communicate, all of a sudden one of them will just touch their ear, and they just you know magically have a ear thing in their ear all the time, you know. So, <laughs> I always I always like that that I could believe that Bruce would have that in the cowl, but to see one of the Robins do it, like you know it. Knowing that it's in your ear, but like everybody else would kind of see that, but they always, you know, make those like it's really teeny tiny and microscopic. And I'm probably looking way too, uh, too deep into that. Um, I like how Dick uh, has, he has his own loft and something that he had had set up, which kind of reminds me of, of No Man's Land a little bit, where Bruce had his, you know, satellite, you know, bat caves in the city. And it's like Duke, uh, Duke, <laughs> Luke, why am I saying that? <laughs> It's getting late, folks. <laughs> Where uh, Dick has, you know, his own little like uh, safe house. And at first, I was like, okay, you know, he's he's telling Jason that he's got the two girls, which gives me a, a thought here for a moment. Like they were palling around in the back cave and kind of going through caverns and things like that. And now all of a sudden, Dick's got him in a safe house, and then they're showing up. Uh, Dick and I, what I presume would be the bat plane getting ready to go to Prague. Um, did did we miss some pages somewhere, or it, we just it's kind of like moving the story along? Oh, okay, yeah, the girls came out of the bat cave and Dick said, "Hey, you know, here's a safe house for you. We got to keep you under wraps." I thought this was a, a spot that I we started going back through the issues. Like, did we miss something somewhere? Am I the only one that was kind of confused of their location transportation? No, I think that we're just moving the story along without having to do a lot of housekeeping. I mean, I felt part of the problem with issue four and somewhat five is that um, they had to keep all the plates spinning on the ends of their rods. So you had to keep Harper and Steph and Cassandra in the issue, even though they weren't doing anything yet. So I think this issue just bypassed that kind of oh, remember these people, they're not going to do anything this issue, but we want to remind you for next issue. This issue was just like, here's where they are, 
here's where we're going. And I kind of like that just cutting to the important stuff instead of trying to just fill up pages with reminders. I think uh, Dick is kind of codpiece blocking J- uh, Jason here because he's like, hey, I got these two hot chicks. I'm taking them to Budapest. <laughs> I don't really need a third wheel here. So, yeah, I'll just, you know, you know, tell them something else. Um, and, you know, thinking about this, what Luke had said about how it, it doesn't really sound like Jason – I kind of, you know what I think is, it's kind of like Jason in this issue is kind of taking the role of Tim. Like his dialogue is what Tim would probably have said, uh, but since they've kind of um, soured that Tim-Dick relationship the previous issue, it would be weird for them to kind of have this heart-to-heart now and then coming out of Jason, it just kind of, they even preface it like, this this is not going to sound like me, but, you know, I'm going to say this anyway. So, um but um, yeah, it, it it is sometimes it is a little jerky, but I'd much rather it go like quicker and be a little jerky than to just sort of take forever or have a thousand recaps or you know. I also just remember that in Batman Eternal, Jason was flirting with Babs and yes, he said, "Oh, but I'm not Dick Grayson." And now that Dick's back, I really wonder if they're going to deal with that in this series. Uh, Luke, what are your thoughts on that? I that was something that in Batman Eternal, I was like, that's kind of cool. Kind of like how people got mad in Batman Arkham Knight that Tim ends up being with Barbara. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of liked it in Batman Eternal that it looked like Barbara and Jason were kind of going to do something here. So I was kind of hoping that. You know, when Batgirl showed up and what was it issue four that mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well maybe this is their way to bring her back in and kind of rekindle that romance a little bit. What do you think about that? That would have been pretty cool to see, but I, I never, I don't think it will happen. Uh, anyone else reading Batgirl right now, other than? Yes, I am reading Batgirl. Um, I am not enjoying it because I, mm. I really don't like the um, the writers on that thing. I like the art a lot, but oh, yeah. I think the writers are very shallow. Yeah. Um, and here's the funny thing: even though Batgirl's appearance in issue four was totally product placement and very frustrating, she was a lot more in character. She was a lot more mature and intelligent in her four pages than in the last, like, three issues of Batgirl. Yeah, I had been reading Batgirl, and I recently redropped it again. The guy at my comic shop is like, you can't make up your mind about Batgirl. And I'm like, the fan in me wants to really, really like this. And I just didn't want to buy it for the art, because like you said, the art's great, but I, I, I'm just not feeling Batgirl. I think she's written much better when she maybe not this particular series at the moment but when she is in other books i think you start to see more of the batgirl that people know and kind of remember you go okay yeah that that's barbara so just for my money i'm hoping she at least shows up somewhere uh in the series other than another you know four pages and and it's kind of like too i'm sorry go ahead no no you go ahead go ahead (laughs) Um, I was also saying, kind of goes back to the whole thing with you know Jason and his ego. Will he, you know, drop his guard you know, for a girl? Uh, it would be cool to see. I, I don't see, I don't see him doing it. And again, yeah, it's that whole thing. I know DC's doing this whole loose continuity thing, but yeah, if you're just following 
Barbara's book with what her love interest right now. It's just yeah. her sixth love interest. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Uh, what were we gonna say, Terrence? No, I was just gonna. This is totally off the subject, but um, I've been slow to warm up to Dick Grayson in the um, new Fifty Two suit, uh, Robin suit here, because I want the old pixie, you know, <laughs> Robin Hood. But I thought it really worked. I, I finally warmed up to it in this issue. I thought it really looked good. I thought it went. And as I read it, I could I forget the actor's name in um, the Batman the Animated Series, but you could kind of hear that voice of that Robin. And um, for less. the first. Yeah, thank you. And so for the first time, I, I thought it, I thought it really worked good. Uh, did anybody else see classic Tim Drake? And I hate that there's no panel num- page numbers here. Um, it's the panel where uh, the series where uh, I must said Tim, where Dick is training down in the Bat Cave mm-hmm. with the Scarecrow dummies, and he's got a bow staff. Um, I thought, oh, he's got his Escrima sticks. I thought it was a nice touch, but he clearly has a staff. And in this coloring uh, of his new 52 suit, it looks very much like Tim Drake. I mean, I love his uh, new 52 costume, and I'm as much as I like the pixie boots and all that stuff, I'm glad that you know, he's got a more practical suit. But um, I just kind of kept staring at that page for a while going, that's that's Tim with the staff. So I don't know if anybody else kind of caught that, if it was supposed to be a nod to us Drake fans at all, but I, I, I kind of, it made me smile. And apparently not. It didn't, it didn't phase <laughs> anybody. <laughs> Tell you, I did like how no. it was, maybe it was drawn though. That's that. You can just see how, like, how ticked he was at himself for what he was doing. So I mean, I thought it was just really, really well done. It's really portraying the, the emotions of, of uh, Dick on the, uh, on that <laughs> scarecrow dummy. Um, the last uh, question I have here, um, I think Ian, you kind of alluded to it uh, a little while ago, with Dick picking up Cassandra and uh, Harper. Is this going to be where the focal point of the story goes? Okay, we we showed you Tim, we showed you Jason in Gotham City. You got a little bit of Barbara Girl, Barbara Girl, Batgirl, and uh, we are Robins, and we're now moving the story away from Gotham City, and it's going to be these characters figuring it out, and it's only going to be in a few panel references for the rest of the family here or there. Do you think that's where we're going to go here? Because because like you said, the the story is really Dick, Cassandra, and uh, Harper. Well, for the next two issues, Genevieve Valentine's arc, I think, yes, that is going to be the focus. But then we have the whole Bane thing, and right. um, Tim, Tim and Jason, I think, are going to be really involved in that. I think when – I think it's Jason Lagzig and Colin Kelly are going to be writing. The solicits for that arc are very Tim and Jason-centric. So I think we're going to be going back and forth from now on. Uh, I'm cool with that, and I, I – I'm kind of glad that that's that that's where it, it, it appears that it, that it's going to go, um, and I think it'll it'll really tighten things up rather than as much as I like to see the whole entire family all together. I think we've kind of seen in issue three and parts of four that it's it's kind of getting complicated. We've got to figure out something for everybody to do, and when everybody talks, we're going to magically put them in a new setting that we can kind of have different storylines going on like we get a couple issues with Jason and Tim we get a couple issue with Dick and the girls so 
that <laughs> sounded really wrong. <laughs> that should be the title of the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that may be the title of this uh, particular episode. So that's kind of uh, uh, where my final thoughts on the the series up to so far uh, does anybody have anything else that they want to add here as I know we're uh, kind of approaching uh, two hours here on this one uh, I'll just say that so far um, I, th- I feel like the series has been good I wouldn't call it great but I'd, I'd say it's got the potential to be great I wouldn't shut the door on it I would say that um, it's exceeded my expectations as far as what I thought it would be it, it's been a little bit better and as someone who's not reading a lot of comics, um, it's definitely got me more interested in these characters. And so, like I was talking to Rob about maybe doing some stuff, I'm going to pick up the Robin War crossover event and pick up those books and, you know, maybe do something on that. So it definitely, um, I think is, is hitting, um, what it's designed to do for me. Uh, Luke. Oh, this has been, it's been fun. I mean, I'd go back to, you know, just really, what really boils down what makes this fun number one just you know knowing every week you're you're getting ready to get the next installment of uh batman robin eternally not waiting a month and um what i'd love probably probably the most is the flashback scenes how it really runs runs parallel to the current the current story it's kind of like where maybe the fallen Adama who watches Arrow. I, mean, I like Arrow, don't get yeah. me wrong, but sometimes the flashes, it's either too much or it's too choppy. But um, in this, the flashbacks, they're they're perfectly amount, and that's it really does it. They're placed perfectly, and it's really it's parallel to the current story, to the events, and really has a good purpose. And that's been really uh, fun and. It's just overall, it's just been a fun ride so far, and I'm, I can't wait till next week. Ian, I am really enjoying the series. Um, I thought that issues four and five were a bit of a hiccup. They, they felt like it wasn't passing the baton as smoothly as it could have. But I really like some of the art in four. I love the coloring. Um, I think that overall, it's been. A really nice balance of the flashbacks and the present. I'm personally more interested in the present because that's where Stephanie Brown shows up, and I really hope that she doesn't disappear until the end. Because from the eight-page preview, we know she's going to be involved in the final battle against Mother's forces across the globe. But I hope she doesn't show up like Calvin Rose at the end of Batman Eternal. <laughs> Who are you again? Yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm excited. Um, I, I really like how Six sort of was a pivot issue. It had like four issues of intense action in like 24 hours. And then we have this sort of take a day later, change a direction, catch our breath. And then we go to Prague. Uh, I'm, I'm in agreement with everybody. I, I love where this is going and I, I'm kind of with Luke. I'm, I'm really interested in the, the flashback stuff. Um, I would love to see a version when, once this is all done and it's collected, I would love to see a chronological version Mm put together where you have the whole Batman and Robin story and then you get the current uh, time story um, I, I think those are some of my favorite parts is to see you know what Dick Grayson was like in the new 52 and rather than 
trying to hang your hat on, okay, what was Dick like as Robin, you know, for the past 75 years? And I like all of that, but you kind of get more of this is who Dick Grayson is, and it's more building blocks, and it, it makes me like the Grayson series even more because I'm just not looking at Dick Grayson as only just being Grayson. He was once Nightwing. I look at it and go, he was Robin, he was Grayson, you know, he is Grayson, he's Nightwing, he was Batman for a time. So I I like the series for that right there, and I think it's a really uh, great way to kind of celebrate 75 years of Dick Grayson and knowing that, you know, the Robin War is going to do that as well. So um, I'm kind of curious if there's going to be any, there's going to be a crossover, but kind of nods to the Robin War since Eternal is going to go on for six months it's it's definitely going to be running while the Robin War is going on so I wonder if they're going to work as two separate entities uh, since we have the loose continuity or if they're going to like tip their hat to that uh, one way or another that'll be kind of interesting to see how they how they play that in the month of December well I think Robin War since it's going to be following the chronology of We Are Robin is going to be significantly before Batman and Robin Eternal. I think Batman and Robin Eternal is pushing us forward towards Batman 50, um, and Robin War is going to be before the Robins become a cohesive entity and are able to come in and help Bruce Wayne. So unless anybody has anything else, um, I think we'll end the episode here. Uh, This will be the episode for the month of November. We do have Thanksgiving coming up. And the uh, first of all, Ian, thank you for uh, being on this episode. And if you would love to come uh, back to Batman and Robin Eternal, we would love to have you. I would definitely appreciate it. Excellent. Um, so this will be the, like I said, this will be the episode for the month of November. We do have Thanksgiving. So once we kind of navigate through the early part of the holidays, uh, we will get around to recording an episode in the month of December and we'll kind of see how that works for everyone's schedule. So thanks for tuning in to the Batman Universe Specials edition of Batman and Robin Eternal podcast. Uh, on the behalf of Ian, Terrence, and Luke, I'm Rob, and we will see you guys on the next episode. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to Batman and Robin Eternal Podcast. This show is part of the Batman Universe Specials and has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman. The thoughts and opinions are the thoughts and opinions of the three knuckleheads that are talking. What could they possibly know? They read comics for crying out loud. Batman and all related characters are under the copyright of DC Comics. All music and sound clips are under their respective copyright holders as well and are used for illustrative purposes. So no lawyers need to get involved as this show makes no money. Zero. Zilch. Nada. So no infringement is intended. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so by going through our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash Batman and Robin Eternal. Or in the search, you can type in Batman and Robin Eternal Podcast, and that will lead you directly to us. You can also leave a message over at thebatmanuniverse.net as the Batman Universe hosts this show, so I definitely suggest to go over there and peruse everything that the Batman Universe has to offer. You can leave a comment into the current episodes in the comment section. Or you can email me directly, rob at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's r 10 M-Y-E-R-S at yahoo.com. 
and title the message Batman and Robin Eternal, and I, or Terrence, or Luke will read your email in the show. Thanks for listening to the Batman Universe Specials production of Batman and Robin Eternal Podcast. We will see you soon. Take care.